Respect Girl podcast, we review the association between atrial fibrillation, what we'll call AFib from now on, and right-sided manifestations of congestive heart failure, or what we'll call CHF from now on. Atrial fibrillation in dogs most commonly develops secondary to distension and structural remodeling of the atrial myocardium in association with either degenerative mitral valve disease, what we'll call DMVD from now on, or dilated cardiomyopathy, what we'll call DCM from now on. The lack of organized atrial activity in atrial fibrillation results in loss of the atrial contribution to left ventricular filling during diastole with secondary effects on cardiac output decreased and atrial pressure increased. These effects may destabilize a patient with existing cardiac disease. Congestive heart failure in dogs is generally described as either left-sided, right-sided, or bilateral. However, the two most common forms of heart disease in dogs both primarily affect the left side of the heart. Prior published case series in dogs have suggested that an association with right-sided or bilateral congestive heart failure, an onset of atrial fibrillation may exist. So Ward and all out of Iowa State University wanted to evaluate this in a study entitled Association Between Atrial Fibrillation and Right-Sided Manifestations of Congestive Heart Failure in Dogs with Degenerative Mitral Valve Disease or Dilated Cardiomyopathy. In this study, the authors wanted to determine if an association existed between the occurrence of atrial fibrillation and right-sided or bilateral congestive heart failure in dogs with left-sided congestive heart failure secondary to DMVD or DCM. A secondary objective was to determine if particular clinical or echocardiographic parameters were specifically associated with AFib or right-sided congestive heart failure. The study was retrospective in nature over an 11-year period, 2007 to 2018. Criteria for inclusion were confirmation of clinical and imaging-based, in other words, radiographic, echocardiographic, and necropsy congestive heart failure, and either a diagnosis of DMVD or DCM. Dogs with any form of congenital heart disease were excluded. Various clinical imaging, including confirmation of radiographic pulmonary edema and ultrasound-confirmed pericardial, pleural, and or abdominal effusion, echocardiographic, and electrocardiographic data were tabulated. Diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension, including classification of severity, degenerative mitral valve disease, and DCM were based on echocardiographic parameters derived from previously published references in the veterinary literature. Dogs were grouped based on the presence or absence of AFib and the presence or absence of right-sided congestive heart failure. Statistical analysis was performed using appropriate methodology for normally distributed variable, non-normally distributed variables, and categorical variables. 220 dogs were included in this study. 70.5% had DMVD with Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, the most commonly represented breed, with an N of 50. Almost 30% of dogs had DCM, with Doberman Pinschers, the most commonly represented breed, N of 12. Echocardiography was completed within 24 hours of the onset of congestive heart failure in the vast majority of dogs, 87%. Between the two groups of underlying heart disease, DMVD and DCM, Significant differences in age, younger with DCM, body weight, larger with DCM, and sex, more males in the DCM group, were detected. Significant differences in breed existed between DMVD and DCM groups, consistent with the known predispositions of certain large breed dogs to develop DCM versus certain small breed dogs 
to develop DMVD based on previously published data. Dogs with DCM also had higher baseline heart rates, greater degree of ventricular ectopic activity, and smaller left atrial aortic root ratios than dogs with DMVD. Almost 90% of dogs had confirmed pulmonary edema, in other words, left congestive heart failure, while 35% had bilateral congestive heart failure based on concurrent evidence of right-sided congestive heart failure. In total, almost 28% of dogs had findings compatible with right-sided congestive heart failure, either alone or in combination with left-sided congestive heart failure. A statistically significant difference were found between underlying disease types and presence of right-sided congestive heart failure, with DCM dogs more likely to develop right-sided congestive heart failure than DMVD dogs. Type of cavital effusion present in right-sided congestive heart failure listed from most common to least common were ascites in 40 dogs, pleural effusion in 26 dogs, and pericardial effusion in 13 dogs. A statistically significant difference was detected in occurrence of pleural effusion in DCM with the greatest occurrence versus DMVD in those dogs with confirmed right-sided congestive heart failure, but not for other effusion types. For right-sided congestive heart failure dogs, the average number of cavities with confirmed effusions, 1, 2, or 3, was greater for dogs with atrial fibrillation, but did not differ between underlying disease type. Almost 23% of dogs were diagnosed with atrial fibrillation at the time of onset of congestive heart failure. AFib was significantly more common in DCM dogs than DMVD dogs. In both DMVD dogs and DCM dogs, dogs in the atrial fibrillation group were larger, younger, and had higher heart rates than the non-atrial fibrillation dogs in their disease type groups. Additionally, DMVD dogs with atrial fibrillation were more likely to be male, had lower left ventricular fractional shortening, markers of systolic function, had decreased severity of tricuspid regurgitation, and had larger right atrial and ventricular dimensions than non-atrial fibrillation DMVD dogs. DCM dogs with AFib also had reduced frequency of ventricular ectopy than non-AFib DCM dogs. Importantly, dogs with AFib were more likely to develop signs of right-sided congestive heart failure than dogs without AFib, regardless of underlying type of heart disease. In this study, the parameters that retained statistical significance in their association with VFib were heart rate, increased, and body weight, larger. The parameters that retained statistical significance in their association with right-sided congestive heart failure included presence of AFib, diagnosis of DCM versus DMVD, and presence of moderate to severe tricuspid regurgitation. Certain statistical differences detected in this study were not surprising and consistent with previously published data on the type of demographics of dogs with DMVD versus dogs with DCM, including signalment, body size, heart rate, and left atrial size. The significantly greater occurrence of AFib and right-sided congestive heart failure in dogs with DCM versus DMVD is also consistent with previously published studies. The key finding in this study, however, is a significant association of AFib with the presence of right-sided congestive heart failure regardless of underlying type of disease. Dogs with AFib were 14.4 times more likely to have right-sided congestive heart failure than non-AFib dogs. When examined further, approximately 75% of dogs in this study with AFib also had right-sided congestive heart failure, 
indicating that the two developments commonly occur together, which significantly reduces the likelihood that cavitary effusions are occurring from non-cardiac causes in this type of patient population. These findings lend credibility to the premise that the negative hemodynamic effects of the atrial fibrillation itself may be a driving force in the development of right-sided congestive heart failure. It has long been established that chronic pacing-induced tachycardia in the absence of primary underlying cardiac disease results in congestive heart failure, what we call tachycardia-induced cardiomyopathy, which is why it's so important that you treat that persistently tachycardic dog. But that's another side note. So it was nice to see this study make a more definitive statement about the long-suspected association of AFib with right-sided congestive heart failure. It was also interesting to note in the study that although moderate-severe concurrent tricuspid regurgitation was independently associated with the onset of right-sided congestive heart failure, the authors did not find an association of echocardiographically-derived pulmonary hypertension with right-sided congestive heart failure in this population. It cannot be determined with certainty if this lack of association is real or an artifact based on study design, statistical power, or lack thereof, etc. The authors did acknowledge a variety of limitations inherent with the retrospective nature of this study. Whether such an association does or does not exist between pulmonary hypertension and right-sided congestive heart failure in dogs with primary left-sided heart disease warrants further investigation. So, what do we take away from this Becquerel podcast? There is a significant association with atrial fibrillation with the presence of right-sided congestive heart failure, regardless of underlying type of disease. Remember, for a dog with left-sided heart disease or left-sided heart failure to develop right-sided heart failure, there usually has to be, quote, something, end quote, else that has to occur, and that something else is usually one or more of the following. Development of persistent or sustained tachyarrhythmias, such as AFib or something else severe concurrent tricuspid valve disease or right ventricular myocardial disease, pulmonary hypertension, left atrial rupture, which would be evidence based on cardiac tamponade, or atrial septal rupture from an acquired atrial septal defect. More importantly, before blowing off that chronic 4 out of 6 heart murmur in that dog with DMVD, or if you just diagnosed with DCM, Please make sure to educate the pet owner on the importance of an echocardiographic workup with a cardiologist, including chest radiographs, ECG, and long-term management. We want to be able to pick up on some of these arrhythmias and related complications sooner than later. The sooner we can diagnose some of these diseases, the sooner we can potentially prevent secondary complications.